somebody asked us if we want to go play golf. And I said, well, sure. I guess we'll go play golf. And I said, well, what time? They said 530. I said, well, man, you can't play golf at 530 in the afternoon. They, go, they said, no, or in the morning. I said, uh, uh, they said, no, it's 530 in the afternoon. I go, well, you can't play golf at 530 in the afternoon. I said, it's dark. They go, we're playing night golf. I said, night golf? I said, man, I can't hit a ball straight in the daytime. How do you expect me to hit a ball straight at nighttime? And they said, oh, it's just, it's, it's for a good charity. You'll have a great time. You know, nine holes. It's, it's, so I said, okay, we'll go. So we get over. And uh, I, the whole time I'm thinking, how in the world is this going to work out? I mean, and so they, they take us in and, and uh, they give us sort of the instructions and they give us a little golf ball and the little thing that goes in. And you could buy more golf balls, which I had to buy a lot more golf balls to put the little thing inside so the golf ball would glow. And then you, you could look across the golf course and you'd see these pins that they'd have these, these, um, these glow sticks attached to them. So you'd see all these things across. And it really didn't dawn on me how difficult it was going to be or how tough and tough a situation it was going to be until we got outside. And it was dark. It was really dark. And uh, so, and then what was even worse was the fact to get outside to realize that you had to drive a golf cart in the dark. <laughs> and the golf cart didn't have lights. Now, this was not a really fancy golf course. This was sort of a golf course, and it was, was a fancy. Um, and so, um, so we get to the, to the first hole, and, and the guy that was, I was golfing with, he looks at me and says, well, I got it. I can drive. Not that big of a deal. I've got it. I can see just fine. Take it easy, Howard. Take it easy, Howard. And so anyway, we get to first hole and everybody does their thing. And I'm thinking, you know, at least if I hit a bad shot or if I miss it, it's dark. It's not that big a deal, you know. So I, uh, I did okay. I did okay. I mean, I hit the golf ball. You, I think I missed it two or three times to start off with. You, you sort of got to focus. You know, you got to focus. Um, but I hit the golf ball and, and off Howard takes in this golf cart. And I, lo I looked at him. I said, Howard, slow down. You can't see. It's dark outside. He says, I can see just fine. Everything's just fine. I can see perfectly. Dottie, you, remind, you might remember this conversation. He said, I can see just fine. I mean, he was shooting off across there. And I no more got that. He said, I can see just fine. Boom! And man, off the cart I went. <laughs> rolling out. Thought I had broke my neck. He had hit a tree stump that was about that high. And I mean, he was flying through there. And I'm, I'm like going, Howard, well, all you see, all of, because it's dark, and you see all these little, these little jiggly things. I'm hollering at him in the middle of the guy. You see these little, these little glow sticks just bobbing up and down as people are laughing because they can hear. <laughs> Sound travels at night. I thought to myself, you have got to be kidding me. Needless to say, I drove the rest of the night real slow, real, real slow. Now, You've probably, some of you, has anybody ever played golf, night golf? What do you think about it, Betzer? It's tough. It's tough, isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's real tough. Some of you guys will probably play, never, never play night golf. Some of you guys may never even play golf, period, because you're probably like me, and you have the ability of slicing these balls and finding yourself in the rough or um, in the bunker or in somebody's yard. Uh, or in somebody's windshield or, you know, I cannot stand to golf near houses. I don't know why it is. My ball seems to always sort of trail. And the worst thing in the world is to be on the golf course and have to holler what? Four. four. I'm like going, hey, man, holler, 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 you holler. I'm not hollering. You holler four. You did it. I didn't do it. No, you did it. I didn't do it. And so everybody gets and they sort of run the opposite direction. 
But you, you may never be, ever be in a situation where you golf or you ever play not golf or even run into a, a tree in the middle of the night. But one of the things that you will do, I promise you without a shadow of a doubt, is you will be forced, whether or not you like it or not, to have to make decisions. True? True. With the start of the new year, I thought, you know, let's go back and let's, let's talk about some basic stuff here. Uh, and, and what I want to do is I want to give you four questions over the next several weeks that will help you in the decision-making process. And, and these are not an exhaustive list. Listen, don't say, well, you left this out. That's not the deal. These are just four simple questions. And they're not in any specific order. Some of you guys are going to leave here today and go, but you didn't say this. Take a breather. It's going to be okay. I'm just going to give you four questions. Four questions that I promise you that if you ask yourself, you will find it applicable. Because the majority of us in this room are not willing to be honest with ourselves. We're a whole lot easier just sort of glancing over stuff and just letting it sort of pass by in the decision-making process. But I'm going to ask you some really, really tough questions. Because if you're like me, you may never hit a golf ball. You may never hit a golf ball. Or when you hit a golf ball, you may hit it in a direction that you never, never, ever, ever want to see that golf ball go. And sometimes you wish you could look back and take that slice or that pull or that poke or whatever it is. You wish you could take it back. And there's a lot of decisions in life that one day you're going to look back and you're going, I wish I would have done that just a little bit differently. I wish I could, could go back and, and take back that choice. I wish that, that I could go back and, 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 and not do the same thing that I did because looking back, you'll have find, you would have found that, that that decision, that one decision caused a tremendous amount of pain. That one decision called, caused a tremendous amount of regrets that if you could just go back and take it back, because in the long run, it took you in a direction that you never, ever, ever wanted to be. Can you understand that? Because I don't know of any adult that's in this room that probably doesn't have something in your life right now that you're looking at going, I wish I wouldn't have done that. But these four questions are applicable to us to where, whatever decision in life you want to make, but, but specifically those questions in life, the decisions that you thought you would never have to make or those decisions in life that you wish that you never had to make. For instance... We've got some, some guys that are getting ready to go to college. We've got some guys that are in college. It's like a decision like this. Um, you've tried to get into your favorite college. You've written letters. You've, you've applied. You just kept getting turned down, turned down, turned down. But it's really not that big a deal because you've got a full ride. I mean, you've got that scholarship that goes along with going off to the community college and and, and, and you know what, it's, it's going to work out, it's going to be just fine, and so, man, you're ready to go, and, and, and you've already made up your mind, and this is what I'm going to do because my family doesn't have to pay any expenses, it's going to be okay, it's going to be fine. But like a week before class starts, that letter comes in. Your parents really didn't want to give it to you, but they gave it to you anyway. And the letter was, you've been accepted. You've been accepted, and you've got to now make a choice. Are you going to go to a college where... Your, your way is being paid? Or are you going to go to a college that you've been trying to get into, but, you've, but you have, you've not been able to get into until the last minute? What are you going to do? You know, for you to go to the four-year university, it's going to cost you. The DeShane's probably going, wow, man, I can't. This is an awesome illustration. Your fives are facing this right now. But all of a sudden, you've got to make a decision. What are you going to do? What's it going to be? Um... 
You, you know what you want to do. You know what you feel like doing. But what is the best decision? What's God's decision? Here's another one. You're in a job. You got a job that you love. Um, it's been, man, it's, it's, it's paid the bills. You got people that you work with that you care about. It is a, uh, it's a job that you're sort of moving up the ladder. It's been a slow process. And uh, somebody calls you and they say, listen, man, why don't you put in an application over here? Um, I know that down the line, uh, things are going to be, uh, they're going to be looking for some people. And, and man, the jobs are going to be great jobs. And, um, but it's, it's not just across town. It's, it's out of state someplace. And for you to be able to, to take that job, it means there's going to have to be some adjustments. You never share this with your wife, as a matter of fact. You never tell your wife what's going on. You say, ah, just throw it in. It's not that big a deal. Guess what happens? They call. We want you. We want you to come. We want you to, to be here. We want you to be a part of our team. You're the guy, you're the guy that we've been looking for. And all of a sudden, you've got to make a decision. This is something you never anticipated happening. You didn't even think it was gonna, you just sort of did it because somebody asked you, I don't want to move it. But all of a sudden now it seems the reality. What am I gonna do? It's a decision that you're gonna to have to make. Are you gonna say no? Or are you gonna say yes? To say yes means that that you're gonna to have to pick up. Move your family, move your, from your friends, take your kids out of a school maybe that you love, a church that you love, uh, a neighborhood that you love, and you're going to have to move. But what are you going to do? The anticipation is that maybe down the line you might move up the ladder where you are, but it's going to be a little bit slower. But do you want to move? You've got to make a decision, not something you really, you really want to do, but it's something you're going to have to do. You're going to have to decide, what are you going to do? Here's another one. Early on in life, and probably you've had these discussions, I have these discussions with my parents from time to time. Um, I, my parents have had these discussions with their parents. What are you going to do when you get old? What are you going to do when, when things start breaking down and the body starts wearing out? And You know, where am I going to end up? Uh, um, Mom and Dad, I'll never, never put you in an assisted living place. I would never, ever do that. I love you too much. I care too much about you. I just, it's not going to happen. But all of a sudden, um, dad dies. Mom is, is left by herself and mom's health is failing and, and mom falls and breaks her hip and, and you've, you've used up your amount of time that you've got at work to be able to go and, and provide assistance and, and you're the only child. You're the only child. You're the only caretaker for this family. And you've got to make some major decisions. Your family depends on you financially to be able to work. They depend on you to, to bring, bring home the butter because it's just times are tough. But you've got to make a major decision about what you're going to do and how you're going to respond to this situation. You've got a limited amount of time. You've got a limited amount of information. You've got the hospital calling saying, listen, you've got to do something. You've got 24 hours to make up your mind where your parents are going because they cannot stay here any longer. Insurance isn't going to cover it. And all of a sudden, you're forced into making a decision you never wanted to make, never thought you'd have to make, wish you didn't have to make. Hits close to home, doesn't it, Sherry? But the truth is, is that probably every one of us in this room will have to deal with something like this or one of these decisions or some other decision at some point in time. And these are just a couple of different scenarios. But the truth is, there are so many decisions in life that we will be required to make. Some that you can see coming from a long way off and you can prepare of them, you can prepare for them. Some that are just going to completely catch us off guard and all of a sudden we're going to be, we're going to be backpedaling trying to figure out what we're going to do. What we're going to do. 
And so you're standing at the crossroads, and the question is, how will I respond? What decision will I make? What do you do, what do, you do when you feel pressed to make a decision when there seems to be lack of options? What do you do when you're thinking that this opportunity won't pass this way again? What do you do when you're being led to think that if I don't make this business decision right now, right now, if I don't take this job right now, I'll never get another chance. Many times the, the truth, the reality is we just don't understand the significance of every decision that we make. Every decision that we make. And those decisions have the ability to drastically off, alter our lives. And you don't realize it until one, later, one day later you're way down the line and you're looking back. Is that right, Bart? That's true. That's true. And so the question is, what I want to do, or the, the statement is, over the next four weeks, let's take a look at some questions that might help us in this decision-making process. And what we're going to do is we're going to take some passages of Scripture, we're going to go back, and we're going to relate these, these questions to certain passages of Scripture uh, that we're going to find in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the God's Word. Today we're just going to look at one passage of Scripture, and we're going to build off of it because there's so much there that's, that's so helpful for us if we're willing to, to really sit down and take a look. But one little question, and the question that I want to I ask or I want to ask you today is this, and you can write this down. I don't know if Brian's got it up, um, up there or not, but the question number one we want to ask yourselves today is this. When you're in the process of making decisions, are you being completely honest with yourself? Are you being completely honest with yourself? And some of you guys are saying, that's the dumbest thing I think I've ever heard in my life. What does that have to do with making decisions? Because how many of us in here have the ability to talk yourself into doing whatever you want to do and not necessarily what you need to do? Are you with me? You know that because you've got that little voice in your head just like I do. And you can convince yourself that what you're doing or what you want to do is right. You can talk yourself into anything, given enough time, given enough opportunity, doesn't really matter. You can talk yourself. How many times have you bought something that you've talked yourself into the fact that you needed it? Only to later realize that it wasn't something you needed. Alan, you ever done that? Oh, we all, all of us guys have done that. Ladies too. We've all done that. What about the times that we've talked ourselves into that piece of dessert and out of exercise? Right, Lori? Yeah, we do that. We've got the, you know, we into that piece of dessert, out of exercise. We've had, we've had those discussions inside of our mind. Um, <laughs> don't want to go to work out today. I don't need to go to work out today. You know, yesterday I didn't eat as much as I usually eat, so really I can skip today. Or, you know, it des I, did, I usually have dessert. I didn't have dessert tonight, so that means I don't have to go work out tomorrow. Or, you know, I stayed up really late last night, so by the time it's over with, I don't need to go work out no, I got it covered. Everything's going to be okay. Or all I got to do is drink water the next four days. <laughs> Every one of us has got an excuse. Let's say that we've got an opportunity to eat out. And before you ever go, you already know that you've already decided, you've made a decision, you're going to eat healthy. Let's just say, let's just say, what are y'all laughing at? 
You've already made the decision you're going to eat healthy, okay? To eat healthy means, uh, Lori, what can you have at uh, Carrabba's that's healthy? Okay. What can you have at uh, Longhorns that's okay? <laughs> Grilled chicken breast with a salad. Or even steak salad with half the toppings on the side and not eating them. What about chilies? Okay, see, you got some. Lori, raise your hand if you'd like to know what you can eat. There she is right there. But you've already convinced yourself, you know, you're going to eat healthy. But this is what happens at, at sort of a median-style restaurant, okay? At the end of the meal, what does the waitress bring around the table? Oh, no, no, no. She didn't bring the bread at the end. That's at the beginning. She brings the dessert plate, doesn't she? And she goes, oh, would you guys like to have a dessert? And she sort of just swat, she whirls it in front of your face. And you look at your wife. And she looks at you, and you're thinking, oh, my goodness, I hope she doesn't say what I think she's going to say. And she says something like this. Well, you know, I'm so full. I just don't think I can have. And I'm thinking, well, that's my, whoo, I made it out. And then she looks, she says, but I'll split one with you. <laughs> Man, we can talk ourselves into anything, anything. And I'm thinking, yes, yes, half, half, three-fourths, you know, three-fourths. <laughs> Let's say that we're having to make a decision. There seem to be some options. And subconsciously, this is what goes on. It's not what's good. It's not what's right or what's wrong. It doesn't even concern God's will, what God's will is. What we most concern ourselves with subconsciously is this. What is it that will make me... What is it that will make me happy? What is it that I really want to do? Crystal, you're getting all nervous over there. What are you doing? What is it that I, I, I want to do? How many people get married because she makes me happy? Why do, let's say you got, how many, how many women get married because he makes me happy? And the same thing that leads them to get married ends up being the same thing that leads to their divorce because he's not making me happy. And the grass looks greener on the other side, Right? Y'all are laughing, but you know it's true. You know it's true. How many of us change jobs because of unhappiness? How many of us, are, are, uh, how many of us decide to move or to make that purchase because we're not happy? Only later to realize that the decision that we made wasn't the right decision because we've already sold ourselves. We've already bought in. Because we never ask ourselves, were we being completely honest? What am I being completely honest? See, the truth might be the purchase was made because it wasn't something that we needed. It might have been the fact that our neighbor had it and we didn't want anybody else to think that we couldn't afford it. True. It could be the fact that we weren't, aren't generous, not because it wasn't something that we support, we weren't generous because really in all truthfulness, we're selfish. And then we aren't interested in investing in the lives of other people. What we're investing, what we're really, what we, the only thing we really want to invest in is our own barns. We just want to build bigger barns, right? We want a bigger house. We want a bigger car. And so the, really the truth may not be the fact that you don't have it. It may just be the fact that you're selfish. 
or the reason that you moved and or take, took a new job uh, wasn't because it was better pay, wasn't because it was a better situation. It may have just been the fact that you'd been passed over at the other job and you got ticked off. And you're going, well, they can't tell me what to do. I'll take my business elsewhere. True? But we can convince ourselves. We can, we can make ourselves think whatever we want ourselves to think. Um, this is really appropriate. Some of you may not have had to work on Christmas Day, but you put into work Christmas Day, and you said it was because I'll make a little bit extra money. Didn't have anything to do with extra money. You didn't need the money. It was the fact you didn't want to be around family. I hear some oh me's. You didn't want to spend time with family because somebody's hurt you, somebody's abused you, somebody's wronged you, and so to, instead of being honest with ourselves... We've just told ourselves a lie and we've convinced ourselves, and not only ourselves, but we've convinced other people around us of why we're doing what we're doing. The reality is this, and we're going to learn it today in what Jeremiah tells us. It's not something you can fix. This struggle of being honest it's not something that you can just outright fix. As a matter of fact, it's something that goes back all the way to the beginning of time. All the way, and Jeremiah outlines it, and he talks about it in a passage of Scripture in Jeremiah chapter 17, 9. So if you want to turn to Jeremiah 17, 9, we're going to look at that one passage today because it's sort of the, the, the foundation of, of what we're going to do. And, and again, this is such an important question because it's so easy for us to be dishonest. So, uh, so easy for us, instead of, to being, instead of being truthful, it's, it's so easy for us to be, deceived, to be deceived. To give you a little bit of background, as you turn to Jeremiah, if you've got one of the New Living Translations, it's on page 1233 in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament, probably about two-thirds of the way uh, through the Old Testament. The book of Jeremiah, chapter 17, verse 9. Jeremiah was a prophet around 600 to 580 B.C. or so, and and uh, the kingdom of Israel had been divided between the north and the south. This was in the southern kingdom. He was a, a prophet in the southern kingdom where Jerusalem was. He was a prophet during a time when God was judging Israel for their disobedience uh, to, to him. And it was about 605 B.C. that Nebuchadnezzar uh, was, was involved. And he was the king of Babylon. He had conquered Egypt. And on his way back to, to Babylon, he passed through Palestine, Israel, that area, and he conquered that area. And, uh, and this is the same king. You may not know who Nebuchadnezzar is, but you may know some of the stories. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, fiery furnace, lion's den, that kind of stuff, interpretation of dreams. And this is the same king that was king of Babylon during that time. And Nebuchadnezzar had come through and he had conquered. There was a, 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 a bad king that they would consider, by, by the way, there were zero kings, zero good kings in the, in the north. In the southern kingdom, out of, out of some 19, 20 kings, there was only eight good kings. Jehoiakim was not one of those good kings. He was a bad king. His father was what you would consider to be a good king of moral standings. Uh, but Jehoiakim, he was, he, was a, he, was, he was rancid, he was raw, he was nasty, he was full of pride, and he just continued on the process of, 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 of leading them into, into further destruction and disobedience to God. But here's Jehoiakim that is now the king, and Nebuchadnezzar comes in, he says, listen, he said, you can be king, he said, but you're going to do what I tell you to do. 
So this is one big king to one little king saying, listen, you better do what I tell you to do. You're sort of a servant king. You're a, what they call a vassal king, a puppet. Okay? So Jehoiakim, he was king. He was in that position. But Nebuchadnezzar was really the one that was calling all the shots. Um, and Jeremiah goes to, to Jehoiakim and he says, the, the, the bad king, and he says, listen, he said, he said, God is allowing Nebuchadnezzar. He said, just submit under his authority. Jehoiakim in his heart, he says, I'm not going to do that. Out of pride, he forms an army and he decides that he's going to go, uh, he's going to take and he's going to, that army is going to destroy Nebuchadnezzar, but that's not really what takes place. As a matter of fact, Nebuchadnezzar comes in and wipes him out. He takes Jehoiakim uh, back to Babylon in exile. And uh, in, the, in the midst of all this stuff, Jeremiah the prophet is still crying out. It's not about power. It's not about might. Turn back to God. It's about where your heart is. Turn back to God. It's, it's not about your, your strength uh, as an army. You need to, you've been disobedient to God. Turn back to God. And, and in the midst of all this thing, there's a Nebuchadnezzar, there's a, there's a switching of kings now that they've been conquered. And there's a, his brother, uh, whose name was Mataniah, Mataniah was, was made king. Same situation. Here's Nebuchadnezzar. He's looking down. He changes, he changes Mataniah's name, which was huge because it'd be like, it'd be like me going to Dan and saying, Dan, I'm changing your name today. I'm the big dog, you're the little dog. And so he changes the king's name, changes his name from Mataniah to Zedekiah. In the meantime, here's Jeremiah going to Zedekiah and saying, listen, would you just listen to me? I know you, under, you don't know that I'm a poor man and you think that I don't know what I'm talking about. And, and you think I'm just a, a voice over here crying out. But I want to tell you, God has spoken to me. You've been disobedient. If you would turn, your heart has been deceived. You're wrong. You've been disobedient. It's not about your power. It's not about your might. And basically Zedekiah, Zedekiah he gets angry with him. He throws him in a cistern and he wouldn't stop. So this whole time, Zedekiah is trying to form an army. He's, he's got in his mind, he's going to form an army, so he wants to partner with Egypt. And word gets back to Nebuchadnezzar, and this time, Nebuchadnezzar comes in and he wipes the whole place out. Wipes all of Jerusalem out. He plucks out the eyes of Zedekiah. He takes off his family members and he puts them in exile. And this whole time, the whole time, what's taking place is, is Jeremiah is saying, don't do it. Be careful. It's not about your power. It's not about your might. And the whole time, Jeremiah is watching these kings make dumb decisions that not only affect them and their family, but are affecting them and the whole nation of Israel. But he could not convince them to stop. He couldn't convince them to stop and to turn around and to turn from the wickedness. And so what Jeremiah does is he makes this statement in Jeremiah 17, 9 in reference to all this foolishness that's going on. And he looks at him and he, he makes this statement in Jeremiah 17, 9 that is, that is so apropos for, for what was going on then. But for us today, it's so appropriate for where we are today. Because just as it was easy for their hearts to be deceived, it is so easy for us, for our hearts to deceive us today. And to lead us down a path that, that one day when we look back, we just say, man, I just, I wish I never would have done that. Because the truth is this, Jeremiah says, the seat of our emotions cannot be trusted. And look at what he says in Jeremiah 17, 9. The human heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? It's something that every one of us in here are born with. Look at what he says. The human heart is deceitful. 
above all things. The New International Version says this, above all things the heart is deceitful and beyond cure, which means there is no antidote. It's not something that you can fix. It's not, there's not a medication that will make it better. Even you making a decision to follow Christ will not make your heart better. Do you understand me? Listen to what it says. Above all things and beyond cure. Which means this, in the, in the process of making decisions in our life, we have to understand the potential that our deceitful heart has. That our heart is sick, and as a result, it is poised to lead us to deception. Jeremiah said the heart was dishonest. He didn't say it was dishonest, but he said it was deceitful. And there is a difference between being dishonest and being deceitful. Deceitful means that you can be manipulated Deceitful means that you can be taken advantage of. And Jeremiah is saying, listen, out of the deceit of the hearts, they, the kings, were making some stupid, ridiculous, crazy decisions. But to them, they thought they were what? Right. Right decisions. But they were not the right decisions. They were leading them astray. And it not only affected them, but it affected the whole nation of Israel. Remember this, guys. Our sin just doesn't affect us. Our sin affects all of us. The other day, we were doing something in the house, and something there was some, some brawl broke out. Not between Meredith and I. It was between the kids. <laughs> so some brawl broke out. And so what I did, I said, okay, stop. Everybody come stand right here. I didn't know who did what. I had an idea who started it. But I said, all three of you go to your room. And I had one of them says, but I didn't do anything. I said, oh, honey, the consequences run deep and they run wide. All three of you guys are going to be punished for what's taking place. Now, that was just me speaking out as a dad. But the reality is this, and you know it. You've been hurt by somebody else's sin before, haven't you? Because somebody else, their heart had deceived them. They were involved in sin. And all of a sudden, their sin, not only the consequences of that sin affected them, but it also affected you and other people involved in the process. And Jeremiah would say this to us today. It's our heart because our heart is deceitful and it cannot be left unchecked. But we must consistently stop and ask ourselves the question, this question. Am I being completely honest with myself? In the midst of where I am right now, am I being completely honest with myself? Our heart tells us what we want to do what we feel like we want to do, and it says, brain, okay, now come up with some excuses. Now convince me that what I want to do is the right thing, that it's the best option. And then when somebody questions you about what you're doing or why you did what you did, Ricky knows this. Man, we've already got a list. Some of you, when you make a decision, you've already come up with a list of things that if somebody asks me, this is why I'm going to tell them that I'm doing what I'm doing right? You've done that. Or maybe I'm just the only one, maybe I'm just the odd bird out. Made decisions before, and I know that Meredith's going to question me, so I've already come up with my list of answers for her that when she asks me, I'm going to be able to tell her. I'll have a perfect excuse. It'll sound logical, it'll sound right, but in reality, it's only what I want. Here's one. See, you can tell everybody everybody else, including yourself, that the reason that the creditors are calling, by the way, family members, are in, they're, they're at Christmas, they're over at your house, you know, Christmas Day, probably a great time for creditors to call. 
Here they are. They call. Your mom picks up the phone. She answers. Honey, the creditors are calling. Why are they calling your house? You pay your bills, don't you? Oh, well, Mom, listen, it's a computer glitch. I don't understand. You with me? Ever done that before? Ever lied to yourself, deceived yourself? You can blame your spouse for your marriage struggles. You're the reason of the way that I am. You're the one that started. I wasn't like this before I married you. You've brought this stuff out in me. You, you, can, you can come up with all these excuses for the reason that your spouse, um, you're the, there's a struggle in the marriage. And you've convinced yourself of this, the, sh- the fact that she's the problem. So you can tell other people that, that, that you've lost your job, but the reason that you've lost your job is because your boss doesn't like you. They've got it out for you. You can tell, you can tell them that the reason that you lost your job is something else. But the reality might be the fact that you're just not doing your job. But you've lied to yourself. You've convinced yourself that what you're saying is the truth. But in all reality, you've been deceived. You've been deceived. And so it's important for us to be able to ask ourselves the question, am I being completely um, honest with myself? But doing that has the ability to, to cause us to struggle because if we're honest, it means we might have to look at some things within our own lives that we just don't want to look at, right? Might have means we might have to look at some character flaws, Mike. Means that we might have to look at some emotions or personality flaws that might be there. Might be there. It might be some things that necessarily we just don't want to deal with. We just wish they would sort of fall away. It's tough to face the truth. It's tough to be real. And we can come up with tons of reasons why we want to do what we're going to do. But the best thing to be able to ask ourselves is to ask ourselves the question, am I being completely honest with myself? Um, When you're running around and trying to convince others that why you're doing what you're doing and when you're beginning to think about the excuses to support your your actions, you just need to stop and ask yourselves, am I being completely honest? Right now in the midst of what I'm going through, am I being completely, what's the real reason that I got to have? What's the real reason that I've got to, what's the reason, real reason that I'm making that phone call? What's the real reason that I'm making feel the need to make that business deal? What's the real reason that, that I'm spending time with or not spending time with? What's the real reason that you want out of the marriage relationship? What's the real reason? If you've not discovered this, this is what you're going to discover somewhere along the line. And this is so important. The people that love us the most, you know what happens when they get together? They talk about us. Isn't that right? They talk about us. Because you've talked about people that you love the most behind their back. And you know what you say? This is what you say. Why in the world can't they see? Don't they understand that they're deceiving themselves? I hear the excuses, but the excuses are nothing more than a lie. And you've might even confronted them in love, and you've went to them, and you've, 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 you've talked to them, but you couldn't get past all the excuses. You could see it. And it wasn't the fact that you don't have issues going on in your life, but you could see right through what was going on. You could see exactly right through. You could filter through the excuses, and you could look through and see what was going on. 
But they had so much convinced themselves and deceived themselves that they were being completely honest. But if we could just come to the place of acknowledging the truth, it would make life so much simpler. But the heart is deceitful, Jeremiah said. Deceitful above all things, beyond cure. And has the ability to lead us astray. But it was the scripture that says, where there is no truth, there is no freedom. But it's so easy for us to fall off and to convince ourselves. And instead of asking ourselves, what is God's will? What's right? What's not right? We just go after what we want. But no progress can ever be made in the decision-making progress and decision-making process until we're willing to be honest with ourselves. Here's a, uh, here's a great, here's a great one. A great one is this. I hear this. You've heard it. The reason that I don't want to go to church is... hypocrites. The reason that I don't want to go to church is, or the reason that I left, and we've got an arsenal of excuses that are legitimate in our minds. Legitimate. But what's the real reason? What's the truth? What's the real reason? You don't have to tell anybody else. You just need to be honest with yourself. You don't have to go off and, and tell somebody else what the real issue is. You just got to be honest with yourself. It's awesome, though, when you've got an accountability partner that you can be honest with, that you can cut through all the fluff and be, be dead right honest on everything that's going on. Man, there's such a freedom that's there. And Jeremiah uses a passage of Scripture back then to say, listen, I want you to understand, I know exactly what the problem is. Your heart is deceitful, and it's deceitful above all things, beyond cure. Who is it that understands it? The Father does. So even though you may have yourself deceived, and even though you may think you've got everybody else deceived, the one person that does understand exactly what's going on is our Heavenly Father, and He knows the truth. So the question for us today is, are you willing to ask yourself, am I completely honest? Because this is what I know. You may never play golf at night. You may not even ever play golf, period. Because if you were, you'd probably do like me. You'd probably have the chance from time to time to hitting that, that golf ball that goes off course and misses the mark, and you got to holler, four! <laughs> And that's not something we want to holler in the middle of a golf game, isn't it? Because we want everybody to think we've got it all under control. And just as easy as it is to hit that slice and miss the mark, it is so easy for us to make that decision and miss the mark too. See, I don't know where this is going to land with you guys today, but I'm supposing there are probably some of you guys that are trying to make or in the midst of making some decisions right now. Only thing I'm asking you is this. Are you being completely honest? Because Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things. And you can come up with all these excuses and you can convince yourself that what you're doing is the right thing. Because many times it's not about what's right or wrong or God's will. It's really about what I want to do. So I'm challenging you guys. First question out of the chute. Ask yourself this question. 
Are you willing to be completely honest, gut level honest? And again, you don't have to tell anybody. You don't have to go to Kenny and say, Kenny, I just need to confess to you. I want you to understand that, man, I just want to tell you the truth. You don't have to do that. Are you willing to be honest with yourself? Because it's important. Because every one of us are going to make decisions. And Jeremiah knew he wanted to tell us even today that our heart is deceitful. So be careful because it can lead you astray. It's a new year, isn't it? New opportunities. Great opportunities for us to have an influence. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this day. As I have prayed and as I have walked, I've just been reminded of so many stupid decisions that I've made, so many conversations that I've had in my mind. And Lord, in all honesty, it really wasn't about what was best, what was God's will. As I surveyed the options, what really, what really seemed to, to, to I, the option I, I leaned towards, that option seemed to be many times what was it that I wanted to do? What was it that seemed to be the easiest? And so God, for me personally, I, I just, Lord, I want to be reminded as I walk through this next year, I, I want to be so dead level honest with myself that when I'm in the midst of making decisions, when it's something that's just a, a normal decision that comes my way, or if it's something that I, I don't even anticipate and it sort of catches me off guard, God, I just want to be gut level honest and ask myself the question, am I being completely honest? Is there anything within me that is out of place? Help me in that. And God, this is what I pray for us as individuals as well as us as a church, that God, we would ask the same exact question. Are we being motivated by fear? Are we being motivated to impress other people? Are we being motivated to try to keep up with the Joneses? What is the motivating factor? What is the real truth that we're changing jobs? What's the real truth that we're looking to move? What's the real truth that we're not spending time or spending time with? What's the real truth? What's the underlying honesty in all of it, Father? Help us to break through and understand and call it out. And when we're in the midst of that, to say, Lord, I understand my heart is deceitful, but I am looking to you today. And my only, my only desire as Father is to say, God, I want to please you. So let us take home this question. Let us absorb it. And as we walk through these next few weeks, may it lay for us a foundation that will help us, Lord, as we make good decisions over this next year and the years to come so that one day we don't have to look back and say, I wish I would have. We can look back and say, I, I am so glad that I did because you were on the throne of my life and I look to you for guidance. So help us. Now I send us out, Lord, to make a difference in the world in which we live, to be Christ followers. And when people, we come in contact with people, Father, they would see a difference in us. And Lord, as, as we come in contact, Lord, if there's, if there's something that sort of comes to the forefront, Lord, that we would, we would be able to defeat Satan, uh, not out of just our words, but Father, our actions. I pray that those around us, that as they come in contact with us, they would see Jesus in us. And they would be willing to say, man, I don't know what it is about you, but you're different than I am. I want to know, I want to know what you know. <laughs> but more than that, I want to know who you know. Because who you know has made a difference in your life. Thank you, Father. May we live out a legacy of faith. 
this next year as we serve you and as we obey you and as we follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.